Father, I'm grateful that we have an opportunity to sing about the faithfulness of God and about the love that he has for each one of us. But, Father, I thank you that you want us to experience that firsthand one-on-one with you. And I just pray, Father, that our hearts will be open to what you want to say, even in the moments ahead. Lord Jesus, I pray that your spirit might take the passage of Scripture that we're going to be studying for the next couple of weeks. And, Lord, we would find application to our hearts and lives, whether we are a believer or a non-believer. Father, I thank you that you give us all second chances. And I just pray, Lord, that you'll be in our midst and you'll speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. We've been studying about the second chance God. And this morning, we want to begin looking at the woman at the well found in John chapter 1. I remind you that the Bible is full of examples of people to whom God gave a second chance. We've already studied about Peter and the disciples in Matthew chapter 26. We've talked about Jonah, the Old Testament prophet. Today, we begin a study on John 4 for a couple of weeks. And Steve, if you'll flip up to that next uh, frame... Uh, We're also going to be looking at the woman caught in adultery, uh, the difference in Paul's life when he came to know the Lord on the road to Damascus, about how God gave David a second chance. But, folks, this will mean nothing to you and I unless we realize that there are things that God wants to give you and I a second chance in, okay? And that's where we're headed. And I hope as we study each passage of Scripture that you're finding out something new about how God works and about your life and how he wants to work in your life and in mine. And I want to tell you, the sermon that I'm going to be giving this morning is not the one that I thought that I would be giving, and I want you to know that from the very beginning, okay? Please follow as we read John chapter 4, the story of the woman at the well, John chapter 4, and we'll be showing it on the screen. We're going to begin with verse 1. Now, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, and John gives us a little note, although Jesus himself did not baptize but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee. Now, listen to verse 4, one of the most important verses. He had to pass through Samaria. I think the King James translates that he must needs go through Samaria. Verse 5. So he came to a city of Samaria called Sychar near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and so Jesus, wearied as he was with his journey, sat down beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink for his disciples. Verse 8, again, is another kind of just a little information verse. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. So Jesus is there alone. Here comes this woman. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with. The well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself and his sons and his cattle? Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. 
The water that I shall give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and he whom you now have is not your husband. This you said truly. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you say that in Jerusalem there is, is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for such the Father seeks to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Now listen to verse 25 and 6. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ, when he comes, he will show us all things. Now, folks, if you ever doubted if Jesus said that he was the Son of God, he was the Christ, the Savior, you highlight this verse. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. The next frame. Just then his disciples came. Now, look, Jesus and the woman are interrupted at this point. The disciples come back and listen, listen, although they don't say this, listen. They marvel that he was talking with a woman, but none said to him, what do you wish, or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar, went in, away into the city, and said to the people, Come see the man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the city and were coming to him. We're going to fast forward to verse 39. Many Samaritans from that city believed in him because of the woman's testimony. Folks, many people came to faith in Christ, in Jesus as the Christ, as Messiah. Because of the testimony of this woman when she said, He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And I want you to underline that too. Jesus stayed with them two days in Sychar. And many who believe, many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of your words that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. For the past seven weeks, we have been looking at biblical passages of, that speak about our theme, people whom God gave second chances. And perhaps one of the best-known stories in the New Testament, especially the Gospel of John, is this Samaritan woman at the well. Regardless of how many times you have read this account, Regardless of how many sermons you have heard preached on this passage, regardless of how many times you have heard the song, Fill My Cup. And can I ask a question? I'm not trying to be a smart enough. How many have heard the song, Fill My Cup? Fill My Cup. Would you raise your hand? We're going to need to sing the song, all right? One of the most powerful songs. But here's, here's, here's my point. Some of these songs from the older generation... And I'm not knocking the new music one bit. Don't take it that way. But there's a very beautiful song, Fill My Cup. My mother wanted that song sung at her funeral. It is such a powerful song. We'll sing it, okay? But I want you to, that song, I always think of this passage of Scripture because this passage of Scripture inspired it. But here's my point. 
regardless of how many times you've heard this passage of Scripture, would you this coming week read and meditate this passage of Scripture? And that's going to be homework. Please, please take some time, study John chapter 4, 54 verses. Let me give you some general background information. And to me, this is very important that I do this. And again, I want to tell you, this sermon didn't turn out anything like I thought it was going to turn out last Monday morning when I started praying. In preparation to look at the story of Jesus and the woman at the well, there's some things that you and I need to understand. In John chapter 4, Jesus is ministering to a variety of people. And again, for whatever this is going to be worth as you study this, there are at least four groups that he's going to be ministering to. First of all, the sinful Samaritan woman, and that's so obvious. But secondly, he is going to be ministering to his own disciples. And I'll explain that in just a few moments. He also is going to be ministering to the many Samaritans of Sychar who believed in him because of the woman's testimony. And remember again in verse 4, Jesus stays there two days. And folks, this is absolutely astounding, and we'll get to that, okay? And folks, I want to read the passage of Scripture beginning with verse uh, 46 as the chapter ends, okay, John chapter 4, beginning with verse 46. And this is about Jesus healing an official son. And this happens immediately after staying in Sychar for, for a couple of days. So he came again to Canaan in Galilee where he made the water wine. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. When he heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, He went and begged him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Jesus therefore said to him, Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Do you get the grip of this man's heart? He is hurting, and he has heard about this miracle healer, and he wants Jesus to come and heal his son. Listen to verse 50. Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. You know, we have downplayed and underestimated the power of the words of Jesus Christ. We have underestimated the word of God itself. When God speaks, it happens. Throughout the entire Bible, when God spoke, the world came into existence. Folks, when he speaks, it happens. Jesus did not need to go down to this man's house. Jesus knew that this man would be a man of faith. And he said, go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went his way. Now, how hard was that to do, you reckon? You need know, heard about this man, Jesus, had touched people and healed him. And I'm sure he wanted Jesus to come down, but Jesus just said, you just believe in me. And that's what our Lord asked us to do. Just believe in me and I'll take care of you. In verse 51, as he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was living. Now listen to verse 52. So he asked them the hour when he began to mend, and they said to him, Yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. And listen to this verse. The father knew it was the hour when Jesus had said to him, Your son will live, and he himself believed in all his household. Folks, listen, we must believe in what Jesus says. And and look, you might say, well, why are you making a big deal out of this? Folks, everywhere Jesus went, when people believed, God was able to work. And listen to what John says in verse 54. This was now the second sign, the second miracle that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. Folks, keep that in mind as you're reading 
chapter 4. There's something else I want to point out. Satan, from the very beginning of Jesus' ministry to the end of Jesus' ministry, is trying to disrupt, destroy the ministry of our Lord. And let me point out how. First of all, I've already read verses 1 and 2 of chapter 1. And I'm in chapter 4, and it might seem, well, that's out of place. Why does John mention the Lord knowing that the Pharisees were, were trying to create tension between John's disciples and Jesus? And let me point something out. Steve's going to put up on the screen John chapter 3, verse 25 to 30. And these are some of the most beautiful verses, I believe, in Scripture because of verse 30. Now listen to this, John chapter 3. We're going to get all this together, okay? A discussion arose between John's disciple and a Jew over purifying. And they came to John and said, Rabbi, he who was with you beyond the Jordan, of whom you bore witness. Now who is that? It is Jesus. Here he is baptizing, and all are going to him. The next frame, please. John answered, No one can receive anything except what is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I've been sent before him. He who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now full. Now look at verse 30. He must increase, but I must decrease. Folks, do you see that Satan, through the Jews and the Pharisees and even the disciples of John, were trying to incite competition between John the Baptist and Jesus' disciples? And folks, what is the cure for competition between Christians and churches? And don't tell me that we don't have it in our world today and even in our communities. It seems as if even in the church we're competing against other churches. Who are we supposed to be lifting up? It is the Lord Jesus Christ. And listen again what John the Baptist says in verse 30. He must increase, but I must decrease. And folks, do you and I really have that attitude as Christians and as churches as Teresa Baptist Church? Does jealousy and pride fill our hearts and minds as Christians and disrupt God's work in our church? Do we want credit ourselves for what is going on rather than giving it to the Lord? And you might be saying, listen, I don't see that in John chapter 4. Folks, it is evident that Jesus' ministry was one that Satan was trying to disrupt even by using competition and jealousy and pride in the hearts of the disciples. And folks, I want to make this point that the most humble man who ever walked on this planet was his creator, Jesus himself. When you and I are most like Jesus Christ as Christians and as, as a church, it is when we are submitting ourselves to Christ and to others in humility. In humility. Not in our pride, in our arrogance. Listen to what Paul says in Philippians 2, 7 and 8. And we've read these verses so many times. And I hope you've got these highlighted in your Bible. He is describing the Lord Jesus Christ. And listen to what he says. He emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. Folks, listen. Why make such a big deal about this? And here's the point. 
because Jesus' humility led him to minister to all, even to sinful people like the cast-out Samaritan woman. Do you get that? And I'm not, that's not, I, I don't mean that sarcastically. Do you and I get the point here? It took great humility for Jesus as a Jewish man to go through Samaria. And we'll get to that point in just a minute. Folks, throughout the centuries, all humanity, as they were humbled in the presence of God, that is when God was able to use them the most. And is our pride and our arrogance keeping you and me and our church from ministering to others? Is it? Is it? We got to ask ourselves that question. How many of you, and I, and I, I got to tell you something. I normally on Friday mornings when Fran is running off the bulletin, I put my stuff together and go down to my, my desk and start making notes on it. And guess what? Last Sunday in my bulletin, I didn't get the shoes in the church. How many, well, I don't want to ask you that, but I hope if you were here last Sunday, I hope you read that. And if you didn't, good news, I'm going to read it to you again, okay? But I just want you to listen to this. In the context of what we just said, listen to this. Shoes in church. I showered and shaved. I adjusted my tie. I got there and sat in in a pew just in time. Bowing my head in prayer as I closed my eyes, I saw the shoe of the man next to me touching my own. I sighed. With plenty of room on either side, I thought, why why must our souls touch? It bothered me, his shoe touching mine, but it didn't bother him much. A prayer began, our father. I thought this man with the shoes has no pride. They're dusty, worn, and scratched. Even worse, there are holes on the side. Thank you for the blessings, the prayer went on. The shoe man said a quiet amen. I tried to focus on the prayer, but my thoughts were on his shoes again. Aren't we supposed to look our best when walking through that door? Well, this certainly isn't it, I thought, glancing toward the floor. Then the prayer was ended and the songs of praise began. The shoe man was certainly loud, singing proud as he sang. His voice lifted the rafters. His hands were raised high. The Lord could surely hear the shoe man's voice from the sky. It was time for the offering, and what I threw in was steep. I watched as the shoe man reached into his pocket so deep. I saw what was pulled out, what the shoe man put in. Then I heard a soft clink as when silver hits tin. The sermon really bored me to tears, and that's no lie. It was the same for the shoe man, for tears fell from his eyes. At the end of the service, as the custom is here, we must greet new visitors and show them all cheer. But I felt moved somehow and wanted to meet the shoe man. So after the closing prayer, I reached over and shook his hand. He was old and his skin was dark and his hair was truly a mess. But I thanked him for coming, for being our guest. He said, my name's Charlie. I'm glad to meet you, my friend. There were tears in his eyes, but he had a wide, large grin. Let me explain, he said, wiping tears from his eyes. I've been coming here for months. And you're the first to say hi. I know that my appearance is not all like all the rest, but I really do try to always look my best. I always clean and polish my shoes before my very long walk. But by the time I get to church, they're dirty and dusty like chalk. My heart filled with pain and I swallowed to hide my tears as he continued to apologize for daring to sit so near. He said, when I get here, I know I must look a sight. 
but I thought if I could touch you, then maybe our souls could unite. I was silent for a moment, not knowing what to say. Would pale in comparison, I spoke from a heart, not my head. Oh, you've touched me, I said, and taught me in part that the best of any man is what's found in his heart. The rest, I thought, this shoe man will never know. Like just how thankful I really am that this dirty old shoe touched my soul. And that leads me to my next point. Give me just a couple of extra minutes this morning because I want to share this with you, okay? Is not this story of the Samaritan woman and the people of Sychar coming to faith the great teaching story for the disciples and the church? Let me explain. In Jesus' day, there was a common hatred of the Samaritans by the Jews. You've heard about this before. The Samaritan people were a mixed race. They were part Jew and part Gentile. They came about during the Old Testament time of the Jews' captivity in Assyria over 700 years before Christ came to the earth. And folks, that's how long this hatred of the Samaritan has existed and when these people returned from exile in the Old Testament, they were rejected by the full-blooded Jews. They were not allowed to worship in the Jewish temple. Therefore, the Samaritans had established their own temple and religious services in Mount Gerizim, and that's why the woman switches off with Jesus and talks about where she worships. Folks, my point is that the fires of rejection and separation and prejudice were great. So intense was the Jews' hatred of Samaritans that some of the Pharisees would pray that no Samaritans would be raised in the resurrection. And to put that bluntly, you know what they were praying? They were praying that all the Samaritans basically would go to hell. And is there anyone, is there some group that you and I don't want in heaven? When Jesus' enemies wanted to insult him and call him names, let me point out what they called him in John chapter 8, verse 48. Look at this verse. The Jews answered him, Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? They were calling Jesus a name, and they were associating a person named Samaritan with a person with demons. And here's the question that God laid on my heart as I was looking and preparing. Do you and I, does our church look down on others? Are we prejudiced toward races, toward groups, toward people who are different from us economically and socially or even politically? And folks, this morning I want to give a personal testimony A lifelong demon that I have fought is racial prejudice. Being raised in lower central South Carolina, people live together in harmony, but in our hearts and minds, we thought we were better than others. I believe that things are much different and much better now than they were then. But as I was growing up, I looked down on people of other races. And that's been a part of my heart that I have constantly struggled with. 
And as a minister over the years, I've had great difficulty with this. Our deacons know the struggle I've had. I've had several biracial couples to ask me if I would marry them, and, and I resisted. In the last two years, God has been teaching me a great lesson and been humbling my heart. It's not easy for me to share this with you. And that's why I said this sermon turned out different than I thought it was going to turn out. But folks, I've struggled with racial issues and with biracial marriages, not knowing that I would have a biracial granddaughter who has become one of the greatest joys and the greatest blessings of my life. And here's some things I've got to share with you this morning, inspired by this passage of Scripture, that whether or not you agree with me, I believe that there's some things that the Word of God is confronting us with, and we need a second chance on. And I'm not calling any of you here racist or bigot. That's not what I'm doing. But here's some things that God has confronted me with and taught me from this passage of Scripture. Racial, Racial prejudice, which is birthed by personal pride and arrogance, is sin. It always has been, and it always will be. All mankind are created equally by God. That means every single person on this planet is precious in his sight. God loves all mankind, white, black, yellow, or tan. And Steve's going to put up John 3.16 again. Folks, we say this verse, but do we live it? For God so loved the world that he gave his son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It was Jesus' mission to come to all lost mankind. That's Luke 19.10. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And a demonstration of this is John chapter 4. This is why John said Jesus had to go to Samaria. He would have been living a lie if he had said, I've come to seek and to save the lost as long as they don't live in Samaria. There's something else. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses all from sin. And heaven is a place that is prepared for every race and nation. And let me read part of John's vision out of Revelation chapter 5. Two verses. And they're singing, they're singing about the lamb that was slain. This is the host of heaven. And listen to what they're singing. They sang a new song saying, Worthy art thou to take the scroll and to open his seals, for thou wast slain, and by thy blood, listen to this, did ransom men for God from every tribe and tongue and people and nation, and has made them a kingdom and priest to our God and they shall reign on earth. Jesus' commission is that you and I take the good news, the gospel to all mankind, even in Chub Lake. Let me remind you again of 
I believe this is the theme I hope and pray for Southern Baptist, the Great Commission. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And, lo, I'm with you always to the close of the age. And, folks, listen to Acts chapter 1, verse 8 again. The resurrected Lord tells those disciples, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And read, read the rest of this with me. And you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. May God help each one of us, most especially me, May God help our church not to be held captive by prejudice or arrogance or pride. And may we be free to love all as Jesus loved them and gave himself for them. Folks, I pray that God will help us. I'm going to close now, but I pray that God is going to help us to leave this place and go out and make a difference in the world. And not look upon the color of people or their economic background. I've told you this before. I remember one of the seminary professors talking about how churches reach out to socioeconomic groups. And as an ignorant South Carolinian, I asked him to explain that. And he said people that basically live at the same economic level that you do. And folks... I hope that you and I would not become a church that would want everybody here to be the same color, the same economic background as we are. May this building be big enough and may our hearts be full of Jesus enough that whoever comes through this door, regardless of their color, regardless of their clothes, regardless of their shoes. And I started, my shoes need to be shined, but I thought, I can't shine my shoes when I go to the church tomorrow as I read about this man who had the scuffed up shoes. That might not make sense to you, but it really cut to my heart when I read this thing. Folks, let's stop looking at people's outward appearance and let's look at their hearts. And if they need Jesus, let's be Jesus to them. And as you read this story, see Jesus going out of his way to meet this woman at the mat. Well, she needed to be saved. And he was there to tell her that she could have a second chance with God. And he was the Messiah. Praise his name. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for an old, old passage of Scripture that reminds us of how much you love everybody. Lord, we hadn't even got to the Samaritan woman yet, but, Lord, maybe it's because we need to first look at our hearts. Would we have been willing to follow Jesus to that well and to sit there as he talked with a woman such as the woman that came to the well that day? Father, remind us that even though we might not have had many husbands and living with another man or woman, remind us that all of us are sinners too. And if it were not for the grace of God, we could not enter into the kingdom of God. So, Father, help us to confess and repent of our prejudice, 
of our judgmental spirit toward others. And Lord, help us that we'll change our world because people see the love of Jesus in us. Father, help us now in these moments of invitation to hear a word from you. And Lord, help us to respond to you. In Jesus' name, amen.